You may open your Bibles to John chapter 6. You just sang to the Lord and to the rest of us, Thou, O Christ, art all I want, more than all in Thee I find. More than all. All I want is the Lord Jesus Christ. Please be sober with me for a few minutes. I love our joy and fellowship around the truth and around each other. But let's soberly examine our hearts for just a little while as I ask you a few questions to help you make that examination. In John chapter 6, a great multitude was following the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told about it in verse 2. They had seen Him heal the sick, the diseased. So they followed in love with His miracles. They followed Him to a place where there was no food, and so He fed 5,000 All they could eat, every one of them, and much left over after they had all fed. They saw that miracle, and they admitted some truth about Him in verse 14. But He, knowing the hearts of all men, and perceiving that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, in verse 15, departed again into a mountain himself alone. He left them. These were seekers. These were worshipers. These were followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he avoided them. He left them because they were looking for the wrong thing. He went into a mountain, and then he walked across the Sea of Galilee, to arrive back at Capernaum without taking shipping. He helped his disciples who could not row against a difficult wind by their ship immediately being at its destination. That great crowd, finding that he was not to be found on their side of the Sea of Galilee, then took boats, verse 23 is where I'm at, to go to Capernaum to find him. And verse 25 tells us they found him when they had found him. The present seeker-sensitive movement, which is by their naming, is to alter church services and the church building and its appearance so that those who have no interest in Jesus Christ or religious things, will want to come. That is how they define it. It's not words I'm putting into their mouths. They call them seekers, but they're using that word differently than you and I would think of it. They're using it for people that aren't really seeking. They're using it for people that would not attend a traditional or typical church. So they're trying to make church like a nightclub to where these people will want to come. 
We're not talking about those kind of people. We're actually talking about seekers here. These men have followed Jesus, have taken boats to track Him down, have looked Him up in the city. They delighted in His miracles. They said some things about Him being the prophet that should come into the world, verse 14. But when they found the Lord Jesus in the city of Capernaum and said, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Because they didn't know how He got there. He had gone across the Sea of Galilee without ordinary means. Here's his response. And brethren, are we in this verse at all? I ask you. I don't want to be in this verse. And as your pastor, I don't want any of you to be in this verse. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. You are seeking me because you are belly worshipers. That you got a free lunch of all that you could eat is more important to you than the miracles that I perform proving that I am the Son of God. And for the rest of this chapter, the Lord Jesus Christ torments them with language while preaching the truth. Those that were regenerated and had been drawn by God to come to Christ, verse 44 and 65, they understood His language and they believed Him and would not leave Him. But the vast majority of the crowd turned and went away as you come to the close of this chapter, because He had nailed them correctly, because He knows the hearts of all men. And I ask you today, and I ask me today, and He asks us both today, what about us? Do we seek Him because there is some loaf, some benefit, some earthly advantage, some comfort that we get out of our religion Or do we seek Him because we love the Lord Jesus Christ? We love the Lord of glory made flesh. We love our Father which is in heaven. These were true belly worshipers. The Bible warns us about a group of Christians called belly worshipers twice. It does so in Romans 16 and in Philippians chapter 3. Jesus had avoided these men because He knew their hearts, but now He frustrated them And I just gave you a thumbnail sketch of John chapter 6. Some professing Christians love God and love Christ, or say they love God and love Christ, for stuff, for relationships, for a conscience, out of habit, out of some religious need. Why do you love them? How much do you love them? Can you truly say that Christ is all you want and more than all in Him you find? Jesus is not going to let you have your life in Him. You can't have both. 
Jesus taught in several places, if you will lose your life for me, I'll help you find it. If you try to preserve your life, I will guarantee you lose it. We're not talking about eternal life as much as we are a life of blessing and satisfaction, fulfillment and joy, peace and blessing in this world if we'll give up our life for Him so that He becomes more than all to you. Ye seek me. Now we're here today seeking Him. Ye seek me. And he is walking around this candlestick. Ye seek me. And his word addresses us. Are we in the latter part of that description where we are seeking him because we did eat of the loaves and were filled? Is there some advantage we gain by following the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is there some advantage that we are seeking to obtain by following him rather than following Him no matter what, no strings attached, no blessings deserved, no promises claimed, just, I love you, Holy Father, and your Son, Jesus Christ, and all that I am, and all that I have, is all yours. Glorify Thyself through me. Use me for Your honor and glory. You are all that I have in this universe. Do you tell him that? And are you living that? Or are there some little loaves in your life or loaves that you want or loaves that you're hoping to have by following him? There is no depth to this sermon. The depth will be how closely you analyze your own life. In Psalm chapter 37, or this 37th Psalm, Please go there and look at what has been the favorite verse of most of my life. And I have in the last few days, which has disrupted my continuing with Reformed Baptists in this assembly, I have in the last few days been examining myself long ago, not so long ago, and at the present how do I view this verse? Psalm 37, 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. You are looking for a loaf if the second half of that verse is as important as the first half. It is the prerogative of a blessed God who is so loving, kind, and full of goodness to attach promises like that. But we should not need the promise, nor should we think on the promise, but we should delight on the condition. We should delight in the first half of the verse. Delight thyself also in the Lord. The third verse has told us to trust in Him and to do good. The fifth verse tells us to commit our way to Him, and He will bring it to pass. The seventh verse tells us to rest in Him. The eighth to cease from anger. But I want that fourth verse. Delight thyself also in the Lord. Those seekers in John chapter 6 were not delighting in the Lord. They were delighting in a free meal. They were delighting in their bellies being full. 
They were delighting in the imagination of their foolish hearts that if they could make him king, life would be easy, prosperous, enjoyable, full of pleasure. But that is not why we love the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not why we should love God. We should love God for who He is and what He has already done for us in a spiritual way by saving us and by having loved us with an everlasting love from the foundation of the world. John would say we love Him because He first loved us. Not only as the cause of us loving Him, but as the motive for it. Paul would say the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that Christ loved Paul so much that he laid down his life for him and therefore Paul would gladly lay down his life for Jesus Christ. Do we delight in the Lord at all for the promise? Now God gives the promise. And if God gives the promise and God put it in writing, then it's part of his word. But is that the motive that drives us through Psalm 37.4? When this was my favorite verse as a 19-year-old, as a 25-year-old, as a 30-year-old, as a 40-year-old, as a 50-year-old, is this my favorite verse because of the second half? Only God knows my heart fully, and He knows it better than I. And I know that at times the second half became more important than it should have been. But I hope today before God I share with you renewal of where I used to be many years ago and at different times. The second half didn't really matter to me. Because the first half was so good in itself. Delight thyself also in the Lord. Is there anything better to delight in than the Lord? Is there anything better to get excited about and to be thankful for and to rejoice over than the Lord Himself? If those men would have not made tried to make Him king to fill their bellies and to provide a welfare program for them, they would have met the most gracious Savior who loved His apostles to the end and loves them still. And they are gathered around the throne in heaven right now. Those apostles... But those men that turned away because the Savior took language and drove them away because they weren't there for Him. They were there for the loaves. What's your loaf? The Bible says, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. That is a wonderful promise. And the Lord tells us it's the first commandment I gave with a promise attached. First commandment with promise. It's the first one with a reward attached. But when you look at that text, do you go into it, and sometimes we may speak about it a little lighter than we should, do you go into that text for its life-lengthening properties of that promise? Or do you go into that text because God said, Honor thy father and thy mother. That is a good thing in and of itself. If God said for me to do this, it is sufficient by itself. I want to honor my father and my mother regardless of the promise attached. That God would attach it just reveals more about His character than it does my character. If I go into that passage looking for the blessing, it shows me to be a pretty selfish person. 
I want to go into that passage as a worshiper and lover of God. But I don't want you thinking about Ephesians 6. I just use it as an example to bring you back to this verse. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. That's out of the kindness of his heart that he would make that promise. Do you seek him for him? Do you seek him because he is more than all? What is your all? Prosperity? Family? Health? What is your all? He should be more than all to you. And so we should delight in him without regard to the promise. And we should be seekers of him without regard to loaves. Jesus, our Lord, knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. All things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Hebrews 4, 12 through 14. Your thoughts, your motives, your intents, mine, at this moment, are clearly visible to him. He knows exactly how serious we are about loving him and how empty we are of ourselves toward him, how much he is more than all to us. What it would take to bring you to your knees questioning how much you loved him, how much it would take to crack you, how much it would take to tempt you. And I suggest by wisdom from God's word that you make that choice right now or he will try your heart and your soul and your mind to find what you're willing to give up for him. And it better be everything. And it better be everything cheerfully. That's how we show him how much we love him. Job lost it all. But yet it says, what does it say? The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he worshipped. And he did not charge God foolishly. Job said, in Job 13 and verse 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Are you to that point? Now Job's life was worse than all of our problems put together. And Job was imagining, what if it was made even worse? What if my life was worse? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. You know, people do this in marriage. A wife will say, if my husband was more loving, if my husband was more romantic, if my husband was more like he, what he was when we were dating before we were married, I would be a more submissive, reverent, helpful wife. Husbands will say, if my wife was a more submissive, reverent, helpful wife, I'd be a more loving, romantic husband. And so they're always negotiating in their hearts that sense or until I get this blessing from my spouse, I'm not going to put forth the effort to be the perfect spouse the Bible asks me to be. That is common in marriage. Whether it's conscious or unconscious, it's very common. And marriage gives us an illustration of how we do it with the Lord. You may not verbalize it that way, and you may not say it to your spouse, 
But it's what you're thinking. It's God, if you will, I will. God, if you won't, I can't or won't. Unless you make my life better by family, health, wealth, whatever drives you or motivates you, Lord, if you don't, then I can't. I've, I've given the best I can. But we need, we can't have loaves like that and we don't negotiate with the Lord and we don't barter with Him. Is He more than all to you and to me today? Ye seek me because you ate of the loaves and were filled. God, because you have, I will. Not good enough. Because God is, should be good enough. God, because you have not, I cannot or will not. And so we, we lay conditions upon God. And this is our unconditional love of God. No strings attached. I am all yours. Does He know that? Do you tell Him that? Do you tell Him how much you love Him? And do you empty yourself of all claims, rights to promises, even though He made them? Because you will love Him if He takes everything from you, and though He slays you after taking everything from you like He did Job. Do you love Him unconditionally like that? People do it in marriage. They do it in families. If my parents were more understanding and more merciful and gracious, I'd be a better child. We don't ever think that way before God. And you know, then the Lord will take something dear away from you, and you'll. so many have cursed Him. How could the Lord do this to me? What do you mean, how could the Lord do this to you? You don't even have the right to ask the question. You are the clay and He is the potter. But beyond that, He is a glorious, infinitely, altogether lovely potter. And He deserves all of our love and all of our seeking Him with nothing in return. The fact that He graciously promises us things in return is because He is so good. But that should not be our claim. That should not be our hope. That should not be the foundation of the driving motivation of us loving Him. How do you delight thyself in the Lord? How do you talk to Him in prayer? How do you tell Him how much you love Him? How often do you tell Him? I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord that I was created. Because if I hadn't been created, I wouldn't know Him. And I'm thankful for a primitive Baptist song that would say, If my soul were sent to hell, His righteous law approves it well. That we sing out of our burgundy hymnal. But even there, I would love Him because He is altogether lovely. And I would seek Him, not for loaves of any kind, temporal or eternal, but because He is infinitely perfect and glorious in all His ways. The fact that He's added all those other things and told me that if I'm seeking Him like that, I already have eternal life is very comforting. 
It's very wonderful. The Lord is going to raise up in your life choices for you to make to find out if He is more than all to you. I've seen it my entire life. I've preached it many times to you that He knows you better than you know you. And He knows the true rule of economics that the value of a thing is what you will exchange for that thing. Is He more than all to you? The Lord takes spouses sometimes early in life. My wife, years ago, delivered babies with another midwife who just died from breast cancer with seven children, one three months old. Those of you that were at the quiz yesterday saw a family there The mother of all those children died giving birth to the youngest of those children. Oh, make your choice right now that more than all in Him I find. Because He is able to take away some of the dearest things that you can ever have in this world. And He wants to know if you're going to love Him still. Because if you do not love Him still with all you have, you're not even worth being His disciple. And I promise what He would do to you if you were in John 6. He would torment you with your language until you turned and went away because He will not put up with halfway disciples. Relative to time, do you unconditionally love the God of heaven and His Son, Jesus Christ? Time. By which you do other things. You know, there's a set amount of time we each have per day, per week, per life. And in that set amount of time, the amount you ration to Him indicates how unconditionally and important He is to you. He knows, I know, we all know that you have jobs and school and other obligations, but there's 168 hours in a week. That's a lot of time. How well do you ration it to Him? Because He is more than all to you. Relative to people. People provide you relationships. Are you totally committed to marrying in the Lord? Because why in the world? Would I ever want to be even a friend of someone who doesn't love the Lord? I don't want to be a friend of one of those seekers in John 6. And that rules out everyone else that isn't even a seeker that's outside of John 6. I want to only have friends among those few that were left around the Lord at the end that said, Thou hast the words of eternal life that Jesus loved. And Jesus said, I have chosen you. One of you is a devil, but I have chosen you. Your relationships... The relationships you intend to have, do you mold your life after those that love Him like you should love Him and seek Him like you should seek Him? And if the relationships you already have, is He already more than all of them to you? He will take people away. He will take time away. Relative to stuff by which you take pleasure, how unconditional are you in your love of Him? Could God rip everything away from you like He ripped it away from Job and you would still worship Him and say, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away, but I still have the Lord. As Asaph would say after he went to an assembly and heard a sermon from John 6, 26, and I speak after the manner of men for a moment, Asaph said, whom have I in heaven or on earth beside thee? 
More than all in thee I find. My fainting heart, Asaph said, finds its strength in you and you alone. Relative to speech, by which hearts are known, how unconditional are you? What comes out of your mouth where the vent and fumes of your heart are allowed to escape? What does your mouth speak of? Lord, help us. We do love Thee and we do seek Thee. We are corrupt. Our tongue is set on fire of hell. And it wastes so much of time and speech and words and air in speaking of foolishness, jesting, filthiness, when it could be speaking of Thee more in loftier terms and lifting Thee up to one another. By Your speech, are You a seeker looking for loaves? Because your speech is about things of this world? Or is it about the Christ of God who is altogether lovely and is more than all to you? Relative to prayer, how unconditional are you? What what do you tell Him? How do you talk to Him? Private prayer and public prayer are two quite different things. One is much more intimate and personal so intimate and personal that to be used in public would almost seem pretentious. How do you talk to Him in prayer? Lord, You know I have a need of this. Lord, I would really like this. Ah, can we make the emphasis of our prayers? Lord, I'm so thankful that I know You. I'm so thankful that You've known me. Glorify Thyself through me. Thank You for letting me know You. There's no one else and there is no thing else that even comes close. Forgive me for being so distracted with my use of time, my use of attention and affection for other things that I have not given it all to Thee. Thou art all to me. I love you so much. How do you tell them? Measure yourself by your private, intimate praying. How often do you tell them? What motivated Moses? It says he left all the riches and pleasures of Egypt for affliction with the people of God. What motivated him? Because he saw something by faith. He saw his Christ by faith. And that made it such a wonderful exchange. (laughs) To get rid of all that stuff. To get rid of all those opportunities. And to chase down his God and Savior. He had respect under the recompense of the reward. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. Though... God and the Lord Jesus Christ were invisible to him. He saw them by faith, and they were what motivated him. I've turned you before to Exodus chapter 33, where it says that Moses spoke, spake face to face with God. If you're in tune with what I'm saying to you in this message, those words are very wonderful. Moses had a face to face relationship with God. In the tabernacle. 
But in Exodus 33.11, it tells us that Moses went out of the tabernacle and went into the congregation. But a young man who was his understudy and assistant, Joshua, would not leave it. What motivated that man to forego what good things he could have found, eaten, the people he could have met, the things he could have done outside that tabernacle? Why did he want to stay there? There was the presence of his God. And you know, when we go to, when we go to prayer, when we go into his word, instead of clicking off John chapter eight, nine, and ten for quizzing a month from now, and do that as well. But while you're in John eight, nine, and ten, meet the Lord Jesus Christ and love him. And in your praying, love him. Stop sweating the stuff. If you'll love him, he will take care of the rest. And I don't even want you thinking about the rest. Because it said, Delight thyself also in Him, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Stop wasting all your praying, telling Him the desires of your heart for this job, this this person for your spouse, this thing, that thing, these, this about my kids. Make it Him. He'll take care of the rest. Right. He's abundantly good and wonderful that way. Isaiah heard the words, Who will go for us? Whom shall we send? Here am I. Send me. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. That's a seeker. Did he ask for loaves? Were loaves offered? Or was it just, who will go take the ugliest job available right now in Israel, and that's to go preach to a stiff-necked and rebellious people? Here am I. Send me. What motivated Timothy to be different from the rest? Paul said, I have no other man like-minded. The other ministers care for their things and not just the things of the Lord. What motivated them? There's only one motivation that will get that done the right way. And that's having a love for God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that permeates your being and your soul is filled with and delights in them and loves to tell them and is thankful to think upon it and to consider how much the Lord had done for Timothy. A Greek father. He could have been ruined in the wisdom of the Greeks for his life, but God had saved him. There was no other man like-minded with the Apostle Paul. Yes, It tells us that if we will forsake father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children, houses, lands for His sake, He will give us a hundredfold more in this life and in the world to come, He'll give us eternal life. It does say that. But that isn't why we're willing to give up anything for Him, is it? To get more? Aren't we willing to give up anything for Him so that we can have Him? so we can have Him without distraction. You know, the unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, how she may please Him. The married woman careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. It's a choice we all make. But in that chapter where I, that I just quoted from, do you know what it tells you to do that are already married? Be as though you weren't. Meaning, Balance that relationship so that the Lord stays first. Are you all familiar with the words? Because I'm not going to turn you there. B, those that have wives, be as though they had none. 
Are you willing to be a fool for the Lord Jesus Christ? Your flesh does not agree with what I've just said to you in the last 30 minutes. The world isn't going to give you one suggestion in this direction. And the devil is going to do everything in his power to keep you from loving God and Christ the way you should. Therefore, we end up with a heart that is double-minded. There is part of us, Lord, forgive us. There is part of us that gets distracted, diverted in our attention, our affections, our energy, our drive, our desires, our plans, our goals that are earthly related, some of which might be partially legitimate, but even when I grant that some of them are legitimate, they're never to be competitors to our love of Christ and our seeking of Him. And if we do not seek Him, if we do not love Him, far different than those in John chapter 6, He will turn us away from the table. One way or another, He will turn us away. And we do not want that. We want the bread that comes down from heaven. We don't care what our fathers ate in the wilderness. We don't care that there's a golden pot with manna in the Ark of the Covenant because everyone that ate that bread died. There's a bread that came down from heaven that giveth life to the world. And that's the bread that we should desire. And they choked on that bread in John chapter 6. And so he said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And do you want to know what that means? It means to believe on me intimately and personally and to lay hold of me and to come to me by the power of God. And no one will do that without God's power. But those that have God's power need to be exhorted to do it. Amen. We have 168 hours until I see you again. I'll see your children on Wednesday night. But until we stand in this house again, it's 164 hours away. How much will you give the Lord and how will you show Him that there's no loaves, there's no strings attached, there's nothing. Take me, use me, give me nothing. Your promises are precious, but I do not need them because you are more than all to me. Or are you the seekers of John 6.26? James would tell us, in that inspired and preserved epistle, part of our canon of the New Testament, James would say, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. In James chapter 1 and verse 8, and so he would say in chapter 4 and verse 8, draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts. Ye double-minded, may I ask you and suggest that as your pastor, sometime in the next 164 hours, hopefully in the next 10 hours before you go to bed, that you will purify your heart before Him. And what that means is to get rid of the draws and to become single-minded and to tell Him how much you love Him and that there's no competitors, that He is more than all to you. And that you are thankful that you have existence. And where that existence spends its eternity is of less consequence than that existence is thankful that it knows its Creator and the God of Heaven and His Son, Jesus Christ. 
David would pray, Unite my heart to fear thy name. Lord, forgive us for not being single in heart in this matter. You have all come out today for a four-hour time of worshiping the Lord together. You have sought Him. Does He know about loaves in your life? Either things He's done for you that you want to keep, people that you want to satisfy by being here, things you hope to get in your life by seeking Him. Let's flush all the bread. Let's get rid of all the loaves. Let's love Him. And let's love Him more than all to you. Let Him be all that you have in heaven or in earth and all that you desire in heaven or in earth. Can you find a few minutes to tell the God of heaven, I don't want to make any threats, but the God of heaven is jealous. And the God of heaven is holy and righteous. And if you do not, after a sermon... A reminder like this. Tell him how much you love him in sincerity and in truth, confessing the things that have distracted you away from him. You will need mercy in your life. He calls us to do this. Will ye go away also, he says to us. If we're doing any of this for loaves, we should go away. But if we want to eat and drink of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I, and I tell you this before I quit, If you haven't been doing this, you barely know what I'm talking about. It sounds very boring and difficult, and you don't think you can do it. And those are the fiery darts of the devil trying to keep you from responding to this message. The reason that it sounds boring and dull to you is because you're living in the flesh right now. And your life your life has been one of being a belly worshiper in one way, shape, or form. But if you will cast all that aside and run to Christ as your all in all, He will give you the strength by His Holy Spirit for you to know very quickly, this is the sweetest place on earth, is to be in the bosom of the Lord Jesus Christ, or better yet, at His feet. Because that's where I belong. And I know that He's very good at reaching down with His right hand and saying, stand up, fear not, as a Savior. Ye seek me because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Why are you seeking him? Tell the Lord. It's all because of him. It's all because of him. He's worthy of all of you in time and eternity. No strings attached, nothing expected or demanded, nothing needed but that you know him. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.